We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, everyone. I'm Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. On Perpetual Chess, I have weekly conversations with the chess world's best players, promoters, and educators about their lives, careers, current projects, and best practices. For more information, go to perpetualchesspod.com. So I'm here with Grandmaster Jun Ludwig Hammer, uh, Norway's second highest rated player in the country, um, world elite, who has been in the top 100, has had an ELO over 2,700. So Jun, I really appreciate your coming on here. Um, thanks for doing this. I'm, I'm happy to be here. I've been looking to get someone from Norway on. Uh, because it's such a chess hotbed right now. We, we all know the, one of the primary reasons why is your compatriot Magnus Carlsen. But I've been wanting, I obviously want to hear about your chess career because you've had some amazing accomplishments and you're s- still a young man. Um, but I also would like to hear about just what it's like in your day to day life these days. So what's a typical day like for you? Uh, at the moment, I'm a, I'm a chess professional uh, and I have been since, uh, March of uh, 2013. Uh, so I, I think just having that opportunity uh, to do chess full time, even when living in what is a reasonably expensive country like Norway, uh, it's uh, it's 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 unreal, really. 
Um, my routine is not really. It's very varied. Um, it's not like I have um, something I, I do every day. Uh, every day is different, uh, and that's how it's got to be. Uh, when you're a, a freelancer and a chess player, you you take what um, assignments or you know whatever job you can can get, and then there's uh, also chess. So what changed in 2013? What what were you doing prior to that? Uh, I was uh, going to school, uh, studying journalism, uh, and I got an invite uh, to the inaugural uh, Norway Chess. Uh, and I said, well, this is a fantastic opportunity. Um, and I dropped out of school um, uh, to make sure that I could prepare as well as I could uh, for that event. And I scored one and a half point out of nine. Uh, it was pretty uh, horrendous. Um, naturally, you get some some doubts uh, whether you can uh, do chess uh, full time. Uh, but just a couple of weeks after that, uh, I got approached by uh, Magnus Magnus Carlsen, uh, who asked whether uh, I wanted to be uh, a second for his first uh, world cha- championship match uh, and after that match um, it was broadcasted live on television here in Norway uh, and it was a huge success uh, and after that match I got asked if I wanted to do some TV commentary uh, because uh, a Norwegian TV channel had had seen the, the world championship match and thought well why only do uh, the championship match uh, we can do his normal tournaments as well. Uh, and just the year of 2013 was amazing for me because every time I was insecure about what's going to happen next, uh, I just got a, an opportunity in my lap and, and took it. Wow, there's so much I want to dig into from from just that what you said so far. Um, so... Let's start with being Magnus's second. Um, I know you guys are the same age, uh, and I'm sure you you cross paths many times over the years. Um, Do you think it was a... I mean, also, I know you're an elite player, so obviously qualified to be his second, but was there something special about your chess knowledge that you think led him to select you, or was it a comfort level, or what, what, what do you think led to your being on his team? Well, I think it has more to do with what you say, comfort, than than chess. Uh, I mean, I, I'm I'm a decent player, but I'm I'm nowhere near elite. Uh, and also, it's not like I had experience doing this before. Uh, I mean, there are plenty of people uh, who are 2600 uh, who are fantastic chess seconds. Uh, but it was very unorthodox, I thought, um, uh, to take in a, a guy uh, who didn't have any previous experience. Um, and, and I was I was always hoping that I would get a role. Uh, I was also always uh, thinking that I can get kind of be be one of the seconds, be kind of the apprentice, uh, a, a guy kind of just learning the ropes. Uh, and hopefully being able to contribute uh, in 
what I was pretty certain was going to be future uh, world championship matches for for Magnus. Uh, but but as it turns out, um, he he wanted somebody he could trust, uh, and uh, his um, main second Peter Heine Nielsen. Uh, he was on suspension, I guess you could call it. Uh, basically, they decided that since Peter had switched from Anand uh, to Magnus, uh, he would not be participating in the first uh, World Championship match. Uh, so instead of being the apprentice, uh, I became the, the kind of head second, the coordinating second, uh, who, who was the one... Um, uh, communicating with the other seconds and, and then kind of summarizing everything and, and being the one to convey uh, our ideas and, and our thoughts um, to Magnus. So you were basically, Magnus would give instructions to you and then you would delegate from there? Yeah, pretty much. Okay, and were you involved in the chess on top of that? Like, did you would you be assigned certain openings? Sure, for sure. So would you be assigned certain openings or certain players, or how does it work? Um, I mean, I guess this is the world championship, so you know the player. But Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I mean, it's it was an experience for me, of course. I mean, I, 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 was, I wasn't sure what the job was myself, uh, and that kind of makes you able to decide what the job is. Uh, and when you delegate, you kind of think that, uh, the guys you have have certain expertises. Uh, it was um, myself, uh, Laurent Fresinet, and uh, Pavel Elianov. Uh, and, um, well, I mean, basically, we would talk to each other and say, well, we need to cover this, this, and this. Uh, you know this stuff, so you'll take that. You'll do this stuff, and, and I'll do that. Uh, so, I mean, it's... It's not a dictatorship by by any means. Uh, it's it's uh, a collaborative uh, effort. And were you guys all in Oslo or doing this online, uh, or how did you arrange that? We were not in Chennai, uh, which was very unusual. Uh, but but I'm not going to go into where we were. Even in even three years later, it's still a secret. <laughs> I'm I'm not sure. Yeah, I understand. You don't want to reveal anything that isn't other people well, don't want to. I, I can say that the the last two world championship matches, um, the the team has been located at the Kragge Resort in in uh, in Norway, and that that's no secret. Okay. Uh, so, so talking. You also mentioned that you've been doing some TV commentating. Was that a, a hard transition for a chess player to suddenly be speaking into a microphone in front of uh, legions of fans? Um, well, it's strange, right? Uh, because up until the World Championship match, even two weeks before the World Championship match. If somebody told me that chess was going to be a huge televised sport in Norway, I wouldn't believe them. Uh, at the very last hour, the the, the state broadcaster uh, came together and 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 decided we're going to go, we're going to go for this first inaugural Carlson World Championship match, uh, and and we're going to put a lot of resources into it, and we're we're going to make it into a great show, and. It was a huge success. Um, and I think for Norwegian chess, 
that is the big moment. Uh, and it's kind of uh, strange because a lot of people have been talking about the Magnus effect ever since he became the world's youngest grandmaster. Uh, but it was only 10 years later when he played the world championship match, we really saw um, the, the game being very popular amongst everyone uh, 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 every everyone in, in Norway uh, and also it was only then we saw an increase in membership numbers in, in the Norwegian Chess Federation uh, to be honest we don't have that many members uh, and certainly we didn't have uh, very many members even when Carlsen became world number one uh, but, but this television it has a whole other way of of getting through to people, I, I think, and it just it it has been the a game changer for Norwegian chess. Tele- television is the opiate of the masses, right? Something like that, yeah. So, are you getting stopped on the streets now these days? Uh, sometimes, yeah. That must be a good feeling. It's strange, but yeah, no, it's. It's it says something about the position chess has gotten in Norway, and I think to foreigners it's it's difficult to comprehend, uh, and I think I I think it's beyond I it's certainly beyond what it is in Russia now, uh, and I know that Russia has these enormous chess traditions. But having televised chess tournaments regularly, I'm not sure that they were ever at, at that uh, at, at that stage. I, I think at the moment Norway is unique uh, amongst uh, chess infiltrating the what's normal. Yeah, reminiscent of the Fisher boom in the U.S., I guess. Uh, way back when but it's hard to gauge across cultures and history how how large each one yeah i mean i i I should shut up right because i'm way too young to know anything about fisher what russia was really like the chess tradition there but yeah even i'm too young so i I couldn't tell you either yeah and for me it's unreal yeah um but it's fantastic think the timing of being a very good chess player at this moment um, it it just it feels very lucky. Well, it's it's good that you appreciate that, but th- this is a podcast for chess fans, and I feel, and I think the audience certainly feels that if you're, you know, if you're in, if you've been in the top 100 in the world and you're number two in the country, in your country, you should be able to make a good living uh, in chess. So, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on is just to get a sense for what it's like and get a sense for what's replicable and what's not about it, but. Unfortunately, there's only one Magnus, right? Yeah, but one is enough, at least for for the boom in Norway. So, just to get a little more sense for your fame, how often do you get recognized? Um, I feel like... Sporadically. So, once a week or something, once a month? Yeah, something like that. Okay. And so, you're doing your chess announcing, uh, you're competing. Um, How do you decide when to do which? Well, I mean, you jump on the the, the opportunities you have, um, and 
in order to do chess professionally, you have to be a bit cynical uh, about choosing the events which maximize your profit. Uh, I mean, you can say that uh, a guy in the world top 100 should be able to live off chess, but that's not really how it works. Uh, even for a, a guy in in the top 40, top 30, I, I think it can be difficult uh, living from chess, uh, kind of depending on where you live. I mean, if you live in Moscow, it's one of the most expensive cities in the world, right? Norway is infamous, uh, but also other big cities like London and, and Paris. It's 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 not it, it's not going to be automatic uh, that that you can make a good living and, and still kind of live in 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 the, in the let's say fa- fancy places. Yeah, um, I uh, yeah, I don't know what the living is like in Russia with um, top hundred players. I mean, I do get the sense that there's at least historically has been more state sponsorship. So you you said that I can, I, I I assume that that Russian chess players are are are, are getting on pretty well, but but I do also know that whilst Russia might not be the 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 richest country. Certainly, uh, there are uh, places in in uh, especially kind of Moscow, maybe that that you know there's it, it it goes very quickly from being cheap to expensive. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. So when you're not doing announcing, are you training? Uh, frequently these days? N- no. <laughs> uh, well, I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, it's my training is motivationally based, and uh, so I train when I have motivation, when I have spare time. Um, right now, I I haven't had any of either. Uh, so um, so training hasn't been uh, fantastic. Uh, but but I'm I'm trying to. Uh, find some some very good tournaments uh, to set myself uh, good goals uh, for the year and then it's easier to be motivated for for working uh, when you have something you're working towards and a player of your level when you do sit down to train um, is it primarily opening and engine based or are you still uh, working on other aspects of the game as well yeah, no, it's mostly openings and and using the engine, um, which is really, it's about efficiency, I guess. Um, it's just so much easier to sit with the computer than than actually do hands-on work, sitting down with the board and and thinking for yourself. Um, but I certainly see that there are. Other things you train by doing it, the, 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 the let's say, proper way. Uh, and I try to do that. It's just that it's, it's so much easier to sit down with the computer and, and do stuff. Yeah, my recent guest, Simon Williams, we were talking about the same thing. I think that's something all chess players can relate to. And I think that you're probably just old enough where you probably had to read a, choose, a few chess books in your ascent. For sure, but uh, now I think you can. You know these 
crazy talented young kids uh, don't even necessarily need to read that many books. Yeah, and then I get on their backs about it because I'm telling them you need to read more. I mean, you cannot just sit there watching this DVD in the background uh, because it's not you're not focusing properly. You're 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 just dosing off with it in the background. And uh, yeah, I, I yeah I read a lot of books and and I kept that kind of. Well, when you have a habit, you keep to that, right? So I have. In my life, I have watched one chess DVD, and, and that's it. Which one? Uh, it was uh, Anand, uh, my best game. Oh wow, that sounds. I haven't seen it. How was it? I I thought it was pretty good, but to be honest, I I didn't. Yeah, some, somehow books works better for me, but I I guess it's a force of habit. And I saw um I well get to this in a minute i watched a little bit of your chess.com streaming video and you mentioned that seven deadly chess sins is your favorite chess book yeah yeah it's one of my favorites as well so i was curious uh which chess sin you've struggled with the most uh that jonathan rosen mentions there's thinking blinking wanting materialism egoism perfectionism and looseness i i, I think it's blinking I don't know. So I, I, I very much relate to what he, he writes about trends, that there can be trends in a chess game. And even if you are better, if the trend is going against you, kind of going from being much better to just slightly better, it's it's very easy to lose control over the game uh, and, and sort of get stuck in the trend rather than the objective value of the position right now uh, because it's human nature it's difficult to shake off the feeling that if you had chosen with hindsight this move instead of that move you would have been winning instantly or you know just and that kind of that annoys you and it, it kind of sticks with you and and it's it's tough to to shake off uh, every chess player knows you're supposed to think about the position in front of you, but there's no chess player in the world who hasn't once or twice, or in my case, a hundred times, huh. uh, started thinking about calculating other lines that could have occurred now that you realize your choice wasn't the best one. Do you have any standout memorable games where that happened to you? Like traumatic, you might say? No, not that I recall. Um, um, yeah, no, N not not any so traumatic. I'm I'm able to to mention it uh, when when being when being stumped. interviewed. Okay. Yeah. Don't want to give your potential opponents any ammunition either. So. No, I mean there are plenty of frustrating games. Uh, the one who comes to mind first is my game from Norway Chess 2015. When I got a second chance, even after my one and a half point uh, initial start, uh, and I was white against Topalov, and, and I played a, a very good opening. I, I got a fantastic position, and then I sacrificed a piece, thinking I could create a very dangerous attack. And it's, I mean, in a way, it's uh, uncharacteristic of my style, but I really felt like I was playing on the big stage and I wanted to play aggressive chess and I wanted to, to show people that I had something to contribute at this level. 
and and what happened was that my fantastic attack somehow faded and then it became a long ending uh which uh, I, where i was in trouble and i ended up actually defending that uh ending up until the point where i just i made just the worst mistake ever i i I, I thought he had to play a different move, and then I had my move ready. And when he didn't play the move I was expecting, I played my move anyway. Some kind of brain malfunction. <laughs> and I had to resign on the next move in what should have been a draw. Well, I think every chess player will be able to relate to that story, although most of us won't have people, won't have anyone to impress with our games, although we may delusionally think that we do. Um, do you have any wins that are especially memorable to you or turning points in your your playing career? Well, I mean, I beat Magnus when he was world champion. Yes, yes. And I, would... I think such such a question, I mean, if you don't answer that, you just you should just quit chess, right? Right. I wasn't sure about bringing it up because I feel like you probably, every time you're interviewed, you're asked to talk about it. But on the other hand, obviously, that's an, an incredible accomplishment to tell your grandkids about. Yeah, no, I, I agree that Magnus wasn't at his best. And to be honest, I don't think I was at my best. Uh, but But I beat the world champion, and that's... That's something people understand very easily, right? Uh, kind of, you yeah, I beat the world champion, and it's it, it's something that's that's gonna stick with you f for the rest of your life. How many times have you guys played over the years in tournaments? In tournaments, yeah, uh, including rapid. Sure. Um, probably uh, fifteen, maybe. Okay, and when you... a lot of that was when we were younger. Yeah, so you guys were you the same exact same age or one year apart? The same age. Wow. So you must have had an, an interesting upbringing in the fact that you are an extraordinary talent in chess, um, but Magnus has turned out even better. So was there a moment that that you realized that this this guy might be world champion, or was it just obvious from the beginning? No, actually, I was one of those people who thought, well, surely this cannot last. Huh. Uh, I, I mean, he was uh, going up to 2,700. We went um, to the same high school. Uh, Simon Augustine has a, a chess program at uh, a Norwegian top athletes high school. Uh, and we both attended that program. And even when he was there, he was like very young, 16, 17, 18, 27, 50. Uh, and even then, I wasn't sure kind of, yeah, I mean, he's a fantastic chess player. But I mean, surely, I mean, he's now he's up against Kramnik and he, he's up against Anand and he's up against all of these legends surely they will knock some sense into him. Uh, and uh, no, they did not. I mean, he was just a different level yeah. the, the whole way. Part of that, I think, might be due to his unique style. I remember someone, uh, might, I can't remember, so I don't, I don't want to misspeak about where I read this, but some grandmaster saying they reviewed a game with him and it's not his calculation that separates him from the other players. Uh, was that your experience as well? Well, I mean, it's it's certainly true. Uh, he has a feeling for the game that is um, just stunning. Uh, and um, 
I, I, I cannot pinpoint the, the exact moment I realized that. Uh, but, um, yeah, I, I think, I think he's the greatest chess player ever. So getting back to the Norwegian College of Elite Sport where you studied, I saw your tweet where you mentioned that the entire Norway Olympiad team has trained there. So I was curious, what are they putting in the water there? What is uh, Simon Agdestein doing to, to produce such an amazing steady stream of chess players? I think it's um, community. Uh, it's uh, a lot of uh, talented youngsters who, who wants to uh, become better and they're pushing each other uh, it, it's a culture for training chess uh, for for competing with your friends but also having having friends uh, having sort of uh, your your closest friends um, uh, at the school who has an interest in the same thing as you and, and I think just that community uh, he has created uh, is a big part of um, the success. Uh, it, you cannot become a good player without working hard. Uh, and what happens when you have a good community is that everyone pushes themselves, uh, partially because they don't want to be, they want to be better than their friends, uh, and partially be, because they learn from uh, from from their friends and and from kind of from Seaman, of course. I mean, Seaman is one of the most creative chess players uh, there is, and I think it's just yeah. No, I, I think community uh, is is a big part of the answer. You don't necessarily have have to have and some fantastic. A coach that is very disciplined and kind of demands a lot of their students. Uh, this is uh, based on uh, on their own uh, motivation uh, for for getting better. That that makes sense. So getting back to you mentioned you studied journalism. Um, what what led you to choose to study journalism? In in my naivete, I, I was. I thought journalism was broken. <laughs> I don't uh, know if that's not, I, thought, <laughs> I wouldn't call that naive. Yeah, no, but I mean, I thought I could fix it. Oh, that, yeah, okay. That was the naive part. Right. I started studying journalism and thought, well, uh, you know, if you some, at some point down the line, you get into a position of power, you can tell people that, you know, this is not the way to do things. Uh, and now, uh, yeah, I ended up uh, doing a lot of well basically I, I during the world championship match i was working for a norwegian uh, media company vg and basically they are very tabloid and and they don't hide it they don't pretend to be something they're not uh and we were uh doing some uh, some some shows from new york uh and we we were discussing amongst each other and, and people were asking oh yeah well you studied journalism you know Ludwig uh, and I responded yeah I studied journalism but I ended up here with you <laughs> uh, so yeah I'm, I'm done trying to to change the world it turns out uh, that's really hard work yeah well you can change a few people's lives through chess 
So when you do your announcing, I imagine you have to cater the announcement to a fairly, um, I don't know, beginner to intermediate level of chess. Is that is that how you approach it? That is certainly the goal. Uh, doing it any differently would be a huge mistake. Uh, the fact is that most people are chess beginners, uh, and uh, those are the people we want to watch the show. Uh, and then we need to cater to to them. Uh, and what has been the most amazing about chess in Norway is that the the amount of positive feedback we get from people who don't really know any chess at all. They just think it's a great show and entertaining and and they feel like they understand uh, what's going on. Uh, and that is uh, the best compliment we can get. That's great. So is there how is it presented? Is there here in in the states and um when they show sports or chess there's basically a play-by-play person and a color commentator. The color commentator would most likely be the someone like you, a, a true expert of the game. Is that how it's presented in Norway? Um mostly what has been is that there are two uh, experts uh, and one host. Uh, so, uh, uh, with your terms, it would be two of the uh, two two guys who knows really what's uh, going on. The color commentators, and, and then yeah, and, and one guy who kind of fills the void. And I think it has worked very well. So, is it a challenge for you to explain things at the beginner level? Yeah, I, I think it's it's difficult, but I, I think a lot of people have said uh, that the the worst that it's kind of in order to do a television commentary, uh, maybe you should not be that strong a player in in order to uh, kind of be more familiar with uh, with the audience you're trying to present to. And that, I think, is just completely wrong. Um, because what you need is somebody who is able to convey uh, the chess the way so that people can understand. That That's going to be crucial. Uh, but I don't think that depends on their chess level. Actually, I think the stronger a chess player, the better. Uh, because there are uh, intricacies in chess. Uh, that uh, a 2650 player uh, can uh, spot and explain uh, to the public, which maybe uh, a 22 or 2400 player uh, would not be able to. So, so being able to uh, uh, to relay and being able to to explain uh, to your audience that's going to be crucial. But, but the stronger the player having those uh, abilities, uh, the better. Yeah, in a sense, you can see around corners. You you probably have a better sense of when the key moments are coming than someone like me would. Yeah, I I, I think so. And also kind of understanding what goes on in the player's mind. Uh, because what goes on in a player's mind isn't always what the the computers say 
And of course, I'm very dependent on the computer myself. I'm trying to commentate while uh, kind of keeping chatter on the whole time. I don't have time to to concentrate really on the game and uh, and and analyzing and calculating uh, possible lines. I'm dependent on the computer, uh, but but I have the advantage of uh, a pretty good instinct. Uh, so, so I can guess uh, what's going on in, in, in a player's mind uh, better than most people. That's interesting because I know that some commentators keep the engine off. So you, you have it on when you do your broadcasting? For sure. Um, I, I think most people do, but some people are reluctant to admit it. Oh, wow. Um, Huh, because I know that I think Jan and uh, Peter Svidler don't uh, use the engine because I've seen them. <laughs> I've I've seen moments where they want to check it. Um, but have you tried a- announcing without an engine? Yeah, for sure. I mean, most of the stuff I do is without, but but I'm always gonna uh, check it uh, periodically uh, in order, kind of just to. It's it's bad TV if there's a moment in which one of the players can win if they find the right move and we're not aware of it. Right. I mean, that is, you can build so much drama out of that moment uh, that you need to know that moment exists. That's a really good point. So you mentioned that you've been too busy to study lately. I know you've got the Pro Chess League going on right now. What else is keeping you busy? Accounting. (laughs) Uh, It's a new year. Um, Stuff for 2016 needs to be filled out. That's funny. Uh, starting tomorrow, uh, I'm doing text commentary uh, for the Tata Steel tournament. Oh, that should be fun. Uh, yeah. So, um, well, no, there's different things going on. By text commentary, you mean uh, writing about it? Yeah. Okay. And uh, how was your, as we record this, um, Today is Friday. You played in the protest league on Wednesday. It will be ah uh, yeah sorry. <laughs> yeah, it will be released. So, how was your experience in the first round of uh, the protest league? I um I I think it's an innovative con- concept. Um I I'm I know the some of the guys at Chester.com very well for for many many years, uh, and I wanted to. Um, to be a part of it, and the the chess community in in Oslo is fantastic. Much thanks to to Siemens Chess School. Uh, so um, so we got a team together. We we had a very bad first week, uh, but we're gonna come back stronger. Nice. Did you guys play in the same room, or did you just play from home? Yeah, we tried playing from home uh, f- for the first time. Uh, we're looking into playing at the same venue, uh, and I'm just I, I'm a, I'm a bit concerned about the guys being done disturbing the guys still playing, uh, but but we'll uh, we'll definitely think about it. And uh, who do you play next? Uh, we're playing Johannesburg, okay. uh, so that's a game we really need uh, a match. We need to win. Uh, in order to still stay in the running. And are you preparing for your opponents for this? Do you have a sense yet if you'll be putting work in or just relying on... Yeah, no, I I didn't prepare anything for the first match, and that didn't turn out fantastic, (laughs) Uh, although I had winning positions in almost every opening. 
so something needs to be done, and I, I think we as a team agree that um, the performance against uh, Riga was not um, uh, something uh, we want to be uh, known for. And I just have a couple more topics I want to hit on. Um, one, of course, is uh, the World Championship. Um, we're recording this a couple months after it's ended. Um, you you weren't on the team this time, is that correct? Uh, yeah, that is correct. Uh, I um, I was a part of uh, a VG, a new Norwegian Papers um, a broadcast, TV broadcast, actually, uh, of the event. Uh, originally, they were supposed to have it in New York, so I was um, very tempted to kind of be at my very first World Chess Championship match in uh, one of the most spectacular places in the world, uh, but unfortunately, those plans kind of, yeah, they, they fell apart. Uh, so instead, it became a, a, a TV broadcast from from Oslo. Do you enjoy? Did you enjoy more being a second or broadcasting? Uh, in general, I can say that broadcasting is much less tense. Uh, I mean, being a second is very hard work, and you kind of feel every time your opening is being played, you kind of feel some responsibility. Uh, you're nervous about. Uh, whether or not there's something you've missed, uh, whether or not you are going to be the reason uh, Magnus loses out on right. his title. Uh, it's a lot of pressure. Uh, but, um, yeah, no, it's actually a very difficult question. Uh, I would say, I would actually say I enjoyed being a second more than I, I enjoyed the 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 broadcasting of the of the world championship match okay and i'm but it sounds from your answer basically you'd you'd be happy to do both uh yeah uh, i'm one of those guys uh who's lucky enough to have two great options yes yes well well deserved i think so what do you have coming up the next couple months you're about to to be writing about um tata steel uh, what's what's after that? Uh, actually, it's not clear. Uh, I'm, I'm, I've been taking a break from chess the past couple of months. I had horrendous results uh, during 2016. Uh, and so I'm kind of taking a time out uh, and trying to get back uh, stronger uh, later. I'm hoping there will be a, a qualifier for the Norway chess uh, tournament. Uh, and uh, if there is, I'm definitely participating there, and, and that's going to kind of be my my goal uh, to to qualify for for Norway Chess 2017. So would that be the Norway National Championship? Or? No, that would be the the top tournament uh, with uh, Carlsen, with uh, who signed up. I think it's Anand. Oh wow. It's basically top 10 guys in the world. So you mentioned that you've been in a slump. Do you have a sense of what what has contributed to it? I'm a bit insecure, but every time I, I've played chess, I've, I mean, I, as you said, I was 2,700, and now 12 months later, I'm not, let's say. Um, so, um, 
No, I mean, when things are not going your way, that's always very hard. And changing that trend is is tough because it, it's it's a vicious circle. It's not only that you lose rating and you lose kind of uh, confidence. Uh, it, it's also that when you lose confidence, you don't play as well uh, the next time round. And it kind of reinforces itself. Uh, I I think I have been uh, poor in my sleeping habits during tournaments. Um, I'm gonna be very vigilant about getting enough sleep uh, for my next tournaments. But for that to account for the 75 lost rating points, I think probably not. So there's there's something that's gone wrong, and I don't really know what. Does it impact your daily mood? Like, if you don't have a tournament, are you thinking about it constantly, or are you able to put it aside and just live your life? Well, it affects my mood when at tournaments, um, and it affects my kind of motivation for more tournaments. I, in general, when you're losing, uh, it it reinforces kind of bad confidence and, and so on, and, and you lose more. Uh, but on the other hand, if you're winning, you just get more confident, and, and you kind of... I, I'm, a, I'm a streaky player, uh, so I, I just need to turn the streak. So this has been... This isn't unusual for you in your um, chess career, to have good streaks and bad streaks? No, I, I think that has occurred okay. quite a bit. It's not a great habit, but on the other hand, it, it means that the successes are very great and the failures ditto. Uh, and if you are the kind of person who can remember the the highlights, uh, it, it's nice like we spoke about, right? Right. Beating the world champion, that that's a nice highlight. Yeah, and you're certainly not alone at the top level. People like Ivanchuk and Topolov come to mind as players who have their ups and downs but when it's all said and done they're amazing players yeah i'm not gonna compare myself to those two <laughs> that would be a, a bit too much i think well you can you can be a similarly streaky player even if you're like you know tiny knots below them but obviously you're you know an incredible player in your own right um so Last but not least, um, I wanted to get into to pop culture a little bit. I saw on your chess.com streamer, you, you said that you re- you refused to reveal um, what kind of music you listened to. You said it was too embarrassing. So I felt I'm not a real journalist, but nonetheless, I felt it my journalistic duty to, to ask you about that. Yeah, no, but actually, uh, since then, uh, I've gotten some good feedback from, from a guy who's uh, part a freelancer who also does some some songwriting and he thought that um uh, the one uh we we were switching choosing the the tracks and he thought my track choice was very interesting oh nice so, so now i'm gonna be brave and and uh, tell you that uh one of my uh favorites at the moment uh is uh marina and the diamonds uh, and the song um Savages is uh, very good. Okay, I'm gonna check that out. I'm not not familiar with uh, with it, but um, I'll, I'll make a note. Um, what else do you do to relax? 
Uh, I watch a lot of TV shows, uh, which I, I believe I have in common with uh, a lot of professional chess players, basically just treading time. <laughs> You'd think that if we we were a bit more disciplined, the, the things we could do would be just amazing. Well, the brain needs to recuperate as well. Any uh, Any recommended TV shows before we go? Especially Norwegian. I think it would be nice to hear a, a recommendation of uh, your favorite Norwegian TV show. <laughs> I, I don't watch too many Norwegian TV shows, but I hear that we're doing huge success internationally right now with the, the scum, uh, shame okay. uh, TV show, uh, which is very... It's uh, the, the setup, the format is pretty unusual, uh, and I hear it's... It's spreading around the globe. It's a uh, uh, kind of t- teenage drama, which seems to uh, a lot of people recognize themselves in it, even if they uh, their teenage years are behind them. So it sounds reminiscent of Freaks and Geeks or something like that. But yeah, those always resonate. Friday Night Lights, shows like that. Um, Okay, well, I don't have any more questions, Yoon. I really appreciate your time. I think people are going to really enjoy this. You, you've you really given some insight into things, uh, a look behind the curtain at things that very few chess players get to actually live. So thanks very much. Um, if people want to reach you, uh, what's the best way to do it? Email, really? Okay, and I know you're on Twitter as well, so people can look well, up. I mean, yeah, Twitter, Facebook page. You can write a message to my Facebook page. Okay. Um, well, thanks very much, and uh, good luck with your writing and then your playing later in the year. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for listening to Perpetual Chess. To hear more episodes, give feedback, or suggest guests, go to perpetualchesspod.com. If you like the show, please help me out by telling your friends and giving me a high rating on iTunes. I'll be back next week with another episode of the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.